We are in the midst of our series, Questioning the Church, and we look at why the church uh, this morning, and why does the church exist? That's what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. And one of the reasons that the church exists is to provide worship, to be a place of worship. And when I say that, I, I talk in, in two specific contexts. One is we gather together to worship corporately, and then we, we, we cultivate um, uh, a desire within the hearts of the people who come here to go and live an individual life of worship. So it's sort of a, a twofold purpose, one to corporately worship and, and the others to, to cultivate uh, an individual heart of, of worship. So today we're going to look at, at worship, and it's, it's kind of a, it's a, a challenge for me today because there, we're going to bounce around to a lot of places in Scripture and end with, with a lot of stuff from David and his psalms and, and how, how he worshiped and uh, the art, the expression of worship that flowed out of him through the psalms, poetry and songs, uh, but we'll bounce around a lot. So today is more of a, a flow than it is like a structured sermon, and we're going to uh, get a, a bunch of quotes from uh, some really fantastic guys. The first quote that I, I want to bring our attention to uh, really lays out the the vital nature of worship. It says this. It's A.W. Tozer in his uh, book, The Pursuit of God, um, fantastic book. Um, you should all read it. He says this. There may be a right opinion about God without either love or one right temper toward him. Satan is a proof of this. The, the thought here is without a, a life lived in worship, without a, a desperate love and an admission of our, our desperate need for him and, and a greatness of who he is, we are no more different than Satan. Satan has a right opinion of who God is. He understands fully who God is, but his heart does not respond to him in worship. So we, there may be a right opinion of God. We may be sitting here fully understanding who God is. But until we respond in love with him uh, or have a right temper towards him, we are, we're just knowledgeable people. Uh, so I want to talk about forms of worship for, for a bit. Um, for, I'm going to say the, the term form of worship, but ultimately I want to say expression of worship, something that, that bubbles up in our heart and, and comes out of us. Uh, very similar to we're at a, at a basketball game and uh, somebody, the team we're rooting for, makes a good play and the, the expression of our gratitude or excitement for what happens is, is cheering and applause. And so forms of worship are expressions of worship when we lay hold of a truth about God. When we watch Albert Pujols hit a home run, we clap and we scream and we get all excited, uh, and that is an expression of our excitement. So an expression of worship is something that flows out of us. So John Piper says this, forms of worship should provide two things. First, a channel to apprehend the truth of God, and second, channels for the heart to respond to the beauty of that truth. I'm going to let that kind of sit for a second. Forms of worship should provide two things. First, a, an opportunity for us to lay hold of a truth about God, a knowledge of who he is and what he's done or his character or a knowledge of how he's revealed himself to reveal our own character and how we don't match up to that. And then the second avenue, the second channel for worship of God is, is to have a way to express the beauty of what we found in that truth. Uh, 
for example, what, what we do here, um, we, the structure, I said worship is a, a corporate gathering, and then we move to uh, an individual worship out, out of the collective. And for us here on a Sunday morning, everything that, that happens here is very intentional. Jeff and the band play, and they bring us to a place of worship. We connect with worship, and, and we, we pray, admitting to God that he is great and above and, and more than us, and we need his help to do what we're doing here. And then I come, or, or Dave comes, or somebody comes and, and leads us into the Scripture and try and understand a revealed character of, of God and how that applies to our lives. And these are, are trying to apprehend truths. And then when we get done here today, when I get done talking Jeff and the band come back up and lead us in songs of worship, expressing our gratitude for what God has done in our lives and, and the truth that we laid hold of. And then we, Mike and Rachel typically, or somebody else that goes to the back, and, and we get to pray with them. We get to, to put money into these offering baskets, and we get to partake of communion. Each one of those things is an expression of worship. And the purpose of us gathering here together every week is for us to lay hold of a truth about God and then have a vehicle, a channel to express this gratitude, express this worship that we have to God. So all these things are done very intentionally and, and bring us to a point of, of worship. Uh, but there's more. Uh, individual worship rather than just the collective. Last week, um, I was not here. I was in Chicago. My, my wife and I celebrated our 11th anniversary a week ago on Saturday, and uh, the, we went to a, a Cubs game, Cubs-Cardinals game Saturday morning, uh, or Saturday afternoon, and then we went shopping on Michigan Avenue, and then the, the best part of the day for me was we walked down Navy Pier. It was like probably 7 or 8 o'clock at night. We just had a great meal, and uh, it's just her and I walking down Navy Pier. If you guys have ever been there, it's a really cool place, especially about 7 or 8 in the evening on a, on a, on a summer night, because it's, it's been hot all day, but Coming off that lake, there's a lot of, a lot of wind, and it's cool, and it's a gentle breeze, and it's, it's really nice. So Jen and I are, are walking down Navy Pier, and, and I'm just stopping and thanking God. Uh, there's, a, there's a tangible contentment, a tangible peace that I feel for my wife and for the, the, the moment that we were getting to share at that moment. And, and I, I was able to, to think through all of the, some of you guys know, uh, most of you probably don't, the we were our dating relationship was uh was kind of rocky for a, for a while. We had one engagement and and broke it off, and then we were uh, we dated again for a while after that and got reengaged, and then finally got married. And it was just a a long and difficult process. And so as I'm I'm walking down Navy Pier, enjoying the celebration of this 11 years that we've been married, I'm thinking about all of those difficult times and how. How God used those difficult times not just to give me my wife, but to reveal his character to my heart. And so as I'm, I'm enjoying the gift of my marriage and enjoying the gift of my wife, worship is overcoming me. And I'm, we, we sit there on, uh, on a bench overlooking Lake Michigan with the gentle breeze blowing and, and thinking back through how God has woven and shaped our marriage and our relationship together. And that moment is traced back to worship. And as, as we, we contemplate what it means to worship and what it means to individually worship, I want to break free. And Jeff said it as he began to, to speak tonight. It's not just about 
singing. Worship isn't just singing. Worship isn't just creating art. Worship isn't just doing all those things. Worship is just connecting with the beauty of Christ and the beauty of God and what he's done and laying hold of that truth and in response to it. And so worship can happen everywhere. Worship can happen in, in line at the bank. Worship can happen just about anywhere. I want to, uh, worship happens for me. I'm playing catch with my son or taking my daughters on a date or any of those things where I lay hold of one of the gifts that God has given to me and I don't celebrate so much the gift as I do the giver of the gift. Let's go a little bit deeper with what I'm talking about here. C.S. Lewis says this, one of my uh, favorite C.S. Lewis quotes. It says, gratitude exclaims very properly, how good of God to give me this. Take it to the context of of my wife and I sitting on Navy Pier or, or something for you that God has really given you a, a wonderful gift. Gratitude exclaims very properly, God, thank you for my marriage. Thank you for this moment on Navy Pier. Thank you for the beautiful day. Thank you for the breeze that's blowing and the gentleness and the peace and contentment that I feel in my heart. Thank you for that. Gratitude exclaims that and exclaims it properly. Adoration, which gets more to the heart of worship, says this, we must be, what must the quality of being who's far off and momentary coruscations, I had to look up that word coruscations, it's just a, a sudden and brilliant flash of light. That's what a coruscation is. Lightning is an example of a coruscation. Follow me? So, what must be the quality of that being who's far off and momentary flashes of beautiful light are like this? One's mind runs back up the sunbeam to the sun. As we engage and encounter the gifts that God has placed in our lives, when we celebrate the gift, we, we do well, but we do better to celebrate the giver of that gift. One's mind runs back up the sunbeam to the sun. We experience the beauty of the sun, the warmth that it provides, and the, the life that it provides, but we trace it back up to the sun itself and are worshipful. So when we encounter gifts that he has given us and engage them as gifts and enjoy them, we worship. When you engage and enjoy the gifts that God has given to you, you worship, especially when we place it in the context of, of what Lewis is saying here and we run it in the context of, of, of appreciating God and worshiping God for the, the, the beauty that he has given to us. Um, but what about the, the times of difficulty? I'm walking up. A thin line here. I think if we stop the message at this point, we 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 run a great risk of being prosperity gospel preachers. What about the difficult times? What about hardship? Turn to James chapter one, if you would. And as you do, I I, I thought a lot during this message and during this portion of the message that I was preparing for about Megan Moss. You guys know she just uh, what was it like three four months ago she had her transplant? April. Uh, she had her, her transplant. And I, I think about, is God any more or less to be valued, any more or less to be worshipped in in March for Megan when she was fighting for every breath and her, her life of in the next month was in doubt whether or not she was going to be alive or not? Is, is God any more to be valued or worshipped in those moments than he is today when she has a perfectly beating heart in her chest and can walk and run and, and, and 
be a, have a normal life? Is, is God any more or less to be valued or worshipped in those moments? The answer is no. And James chapter 1 brings us to, to why the answer to that question is no. James chapter 1 verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And as we walk through this, don't just think about Megan. Think about maybe a particular trial in this moment in your life. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it as an opportunity to seize a truth about God that you will extend into worship. Think about that. I'm going to reiterate that. The trial that you are currently facing in your life, properly perceived, is an opportunity for you to worship. Why? Continue to verse 3 and we'll find out. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, something that doesn't change or doesn't need to change. Steadfastness. You know that the testing of your faith produces this rock-solid steadfastness. Verse 4. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The result of this trial is for us to come to this understanding that we are being made perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. And then we can seize this moment of trial, this moment of difficulty for an opportunity to worship. Yes, God, thank you for this thorn that you've given me. Thank you for this difficulty. Thank you for this pain. Thank you for this disease. Thank you for this hardship. Thank you for this poverty. Thank you for all of these things. Because I am being made more complete through them. Every moment of our lives can be seized for worship. So let's think about the end of this struggle, the end of this trial. It's for our perfection and completion that it's here. And thus, improper perspective is worship. Trials can be the result of our own particular sin, sin that we have done, which has brought consequences to us that we have to live with and wrestle with and deal with. Sin can bring those, and that can be a trial. Other people's sin in our lives and around our lives, our spouse, our friends, our parents, our kids, their sin can bring us trial. Or just the fact that we live in a broken, messed up world where sin prevails and sin abounds, and as a result, there's a brokenness and a fracture to this planet. All these things can bring trial to our lives. But we have to know that trials can and should be a cause for worship. I want to tell you guys a story about a friend of mine named Brian. Uh, he's a guy who uh, is in seminary in Kansas City and is interning at a, uh, a church called Redeemer Fellowship in Kansas City. Uh, and he has, uh, I think it's a 16-month-old daughter named Olivia. And I'll tell you this, the story. She was born at 41 weeks old, uh, and she has lots of, lots of difficulties, and they haven't really laid hold of, of a, a diagnosis for what the problem is. But basically what's happened is she, her body has not developed the way that it should develop. And so she's had uh, congenitive heart defects. She's had seizures. She's been in and out of hospitals all, m- most of her life. And they found out, like in December of last year, that she needed this uh, to have open-heart surgery because her heart was too small. To They were going to catheterize it and, and help to change the, the defects that are in there. But then they realized they had to have open-heart surgery. 
And because she wasn't developed, they couldn't do the open-heart surgery. So basically what happened was for about five months, their daughter was a completely, completely in a vegetative state. They have, they, she wasn't developing at all, wasn't, nothing was happening to her, and they needed her to develop in order for them to be able to do this open-heart surgery. And this is a, back in December, she's just over a year old. Uh, or actually not quite a year old back in December. So then in January comes, they're in and out of the hospital because of this this problem that, that they've had. Now they've placed her in the hospital full time and they're, they're in on oxygen, getting oxygen to this poor little girl full time. And so this past week, she was able to, her, her heart had grown enough and her body had grown enough that they were able to perform this open heart surgery this past week. And uh, they just took her off of the ventilator last night about midnight and she's breathing on her own, which is a, a huge, huge answer to prayer. And Brian is just a young, scholarly guy, just an awesome dude. Uh, and and I, I asked him this week, have you been able to worship in the midst of this? And and I want to go back about what I said. This baby was born at 41 weeks old with uh, congenitive heart defects, and she's been having seizures basically her whole life and spent five months of her life in a vegetative state. And now she's, when I, when I asked him this question, she was still on a ventilator and, and it was, everything was still nip and tuck whether or not she was going to survive this, this surgery. And I said, Brian, can you worship in the midst of this? And this is uh, Brian's response. We have been able to worship this time more than in previous visits. Just cries for help and deliverance mostly, but also worship because of a renewed thankfulness that because of the gospel, we have a great hope, not that Livy, that's his daughter, her name is Olivia, they call her Livy. We have a great hope, not that Livy will be okay now, but because of Jesus, all things will be made new. I often pray, come Lord Jesus. I hope that, that one, touches your heart, but I hope, one, we get to see a response of a man of God watching his daughter fight for her life, her whole life. And, and see how God is, is changing the character of this man. And we can see it and respond in worship. Because of what God has done, we've laid hold of the truth in what God has done in this guy's life. And we, we get to, to watch him, and, and I know him well, and call him a friend, and Get, getting to watch him respond in this beautiful way is a moment for me to worship because we've laid hold of the beauty of God. But I want to want to walk back through what he said. We've been able we've been able to worship this time more than in previous visits. He's admitting that uh, a difficult trial, and he's just cries for help mostly. But worship because of a renewed thankfulness that because of the gospel we have a great hope, not that Livy will, will get out of this, but that the gospel says all things will be made new. There is nothing here in our lives, there's nothing here in this planet that will not be made new. Christ is about making all things new. And as a result, we can worship in the midst of this difficulty that we wrestle with. And go back to to maybe a trial that's in your life, and, and think through this. All things will be made new. Understand the beauty of that. 
I know of difficulty in a lot of lives. I know of difficulty in my own heart. All things will be made new. We sang earlier, rising he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, O glorious day. Christ has risen and justified us all freely forever. And one day he's coming back. What a glorious day that will be. And for that, for the hope that we, we, we seek, for the hope that we experience, we worship. Another purpose for us is to delight in God. Flip over to Romans chapter 1 from where you are. Romans chapter 1, verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, worshipped and served the Creator, the, cre- the creature, rather than Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. We are worshipers at heart. At the core of us is a passion and a desire to worship. We will serve and worship the created rather than the Creator if we don't check ourselves. Um, you guys might remember uh, like a, a month ago, uh, LeBron James was deciding what he wanted to do with like the rest of his basketball career, who he's going to play for. And he chose the Miami heat. And, uh, you might've seen videos online of like these massive parties that were happening at, he says, I'm going to take my talents to the South beach and, and play for the Miami heat next year. And instantly there's this massive party all, all throughout these these bars and sports bars in Miami, and there's video of these people just having this, this huge celebration, this worshipful celebration here in the sports bar because LeBron James is going to come to Miami to play basketball next year. And you also see similar videos of, of guys, like, in places in Cleveland, like, they're having LeBron James jersey-burning parties. And this indicts our culture on worship and who we worship. Tim Keller says this. He gets down to the heart of it. Every human being must live for something. Something must capture our imaginations, our heart's most fundamental allegiance and hope. Something must capture it. Because of who we are and how we were created, something must capture our most fundamental allegiance and hope. If we look to some created thing to give us meaning, hope, and happiness that only God himself can give, it will eventually fail to deliver and break our hearts. And we wind up at a jersey-burning party because all of our hope and trust and faith was placed on some guy who, who is big and can jump high. And it fails us. And when it fails us, we question what's going on. We question our purpose. Now, it's, it's a little bit of a silly illustration analogy. I don't know the people who were burning LeBron James's jersey, but the, the, the example the, the indictment is still there. We place our hope and our life and our meaning in the created. And here's, I want to bring it to, bring it full circle and, and 
apply it to our hearts. Marriages in this world fail. People think that if I can just get married, everything is going to be great. Everything will be perfect. My life is difficult now, but if, if I can just get married, everything will be great. And then our spouse fails us, and we question our purpose, our, our hope. We question our value, our, our, our lives. Stuff like that happens all the time. We place our hope in or our, our worship in our job. We place our hope or our worship in our children. We place our hope or our worship in, in our church and or the people in our church. And when these things fail us, we are dismantled. We disintegrate and we, we drop because we are serving and worshiping the created rather than the creator. Talking about idols here. In Genesis 12, God makes a covenant with Abraham that he will make him a great nation, but first he's got to leave his home and leave his family to go and be where God wants him to be. Abraham follows God and thus does not make home or family an idol. In Genesis 22, God has given Abraham Isaac as the start of that promise to make a great nation of him. And he, God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, and Isaac Abraham willingly follows God and intends to sacrifice his son and thus not make him an idol. Nothing is more important than God in the life of Abraham. Not his family, not his home, so he leaves it, not his children. So he, he's allowing him, God to say, yes, I will sacrifice my son to you, God. And thus, home and family and children are not an idol to Abraham. God is the only one who he will worship. So Abraham, God does not allow Abraham to kill his son and instead blesses Abraham for his undivided worship. I want to say this. The enemy to worship of God is the worship of idols. The enemy to worship of God is the worship of idols. So the enemy to, to our expressing our gratitude and our lives and our hope in God is the created and it, it's really difficult. Go back to my Navy Pier's situation, my Navy Pier story. It's really easy for me to rest in the beauty of my relationship with my wife and worship that. To worship that moment there on that pier in Chicago, all, overlooking Lake Michigan. But ultimately, we worship the Creator for giving us these wonderful and beautiful gifts. Our mind runs back up the sunbeam to the sun. The enemy to worship of God is the worship of idols. Therefore, idols are your enemies to joy, contentment, and intimacy. Here's a rhetorical question that I, I want you to answer in your journal, in your, 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 thought, in your thought time, in your quiet time this week. What idols do I have? What do I cling to harder than I cling to God? For most of us in our situation and and our demographic, our idol of worship is, uh, is people's opinion of us. What do people think about us? And as a result of that idol, we hide from people. We, we don't uh, engage people. Even our spouses or our friends, we don't engage them fully because we want them to think better of who we are. And that predicts how we will respond and how we'll act and how we'll live. And it keeps us from true and complete worship of God. That's the 
this understanding of, of idols is a, is a negative side of this. I want to close with a positive side of this. Um, we're going to just read through some psalms. I'm not going to spend time digging them apart or, or tearing them apart, apart from what I'll say here at the beginning. Um, these are psalms of David where he has apprehended a truth of God and responded in this expression of worship with what he's, what he's writing, what he's saying. These are verses for us to meditate on now and meditate on this week. As we combat the idols that are in our lives, as we, we seek to worship God for what he is, who he is and what he has given to us. Instead of, of worshiping the created, we worship the creator. And these are meditations of the heart, expressions of worship from the heart of David that can encourage our hearts and our lives to respond. Ask God to bend your heart to these. And these are in, we, we wrote these in the bulletin for you to have these as, as you go and as you have times to meditate this week. Meditate on these verses and see the, the passion that's flowing from the heart of David as he writes these. Psalm 34, 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. See the worship flowing, the expression of worship flowing out of David. Psalm 42, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God. See the desperate need that's in these verses. When shall I come and appear before God? My soul thirsts for God. My soul pants for you, O God. Meditate on these verses. Ask God to bend your will, your heart around these verses. Psalm 63 Verse 8, my soul clings to you. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Expression of worship. Psalm 17, verse 15. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I wake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I shall just look upon you, God. And when I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. In the midst of, of plenty and in the midst of want, in the midst of, of celebration and in the midst of tragedy, I shall be satisfied. God, whatever you choose to do in my heart, in my life, in my family, in my health, in my my bank account, in my church, in my family, on this planet, I shall be satisfied in you. That is worship. It's what God is calling us to. And that desire brings satisfaction and peace and contentment brings that moment of, yes, God, I trust you 
completely and fully. It's a cycle. I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Meditate and think through that word satisfied. God, ask God what it means to be satisfied in him and see if he doesn't show you. The last one, Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy for the living God. All that I am sings for joy for the living God. Verse 4. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are some blessed is somebody who's laid hold of a of a beautiful truth about who God is. When we have engaged the character of God, we are blessed. When this says blessed, somebody who has engaged the character and engaged the truth about who God is. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Selah. When you see that word selah, the author is telling you to stop there. Don't go on to the next verse. Think about what it is that I just laid on you. Stop and think about God is is the translation of this term selah blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise stop and meditate on god verse 10 for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere satisfaction intimacy joy peace contentment all these things we desperately want and they're found in worship every other place that we find joy or peace or contentment or hope are fleeting and will fail us will destroy us will leave us empty and hurting will leave us wanting to burn jerseys but when we find our hope and our peace and our contentment and joy in the worship of the creator god we find it everlasting and we find it unending that doesn't fatigue that doesn't end up on itself and we get a chance to worship a beautiful God and now we get a chance to respond to what God has placed in our hearts very intentionally we walk through these last psalms so that we could have God place in us this desire to be satisfied fully and completely in him and then in a moment Jeff and the the band are going to come up and sing and we're going to get to chance to to shout proclamations of worship we're going to get to sing psalm 84 as a response to what god has placed in our hearts we're going to get to to give back to him we're going to get to to place our the things that god has given to us in this offering basket so we can do his work here in this place we're going to get to partake in communion we're going to get to break the bread and place it in the bowl and partake of it and we worship god we enjoy this great satisfaction this great peace that he's provided for us in the midst of that we're going to get a chance to pray in the back those are the things that we have set up for you every week to respond to god and worship and they're not just things to do to pass the time till we say amen and we're done these are times for us to after we've laid hold of the truth of god to respond in worship let's pray and then do that God, I thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for the heart of this message that you've preached to my heart this week. God, I pray 
for everyone in this place, I, for us to engage our own joy and our own satisfaction in these moments by engaging you in worship, God. Pray for Jeff and Megan and Travis as they lead musically. They wouldn't just lead, they would engage you. I pray for Mike and Rachel as they engage you by, by being back there to pray with people. That they wouldn't just stand back there, Father, but they would engage your heart of worship. I pray for, for Kyle as he presses buttons on the computer, Father, that you would engage his heart with worship and, and each of us this morning, God. May we be fully and completely satisfied only in you, Father. Free us from distraction. Guide our hearts as we respond and worship to you, God. Satisfy our hearts. Make these psalms the prayer of our hearts. Bend our will to these psalms, God, that we might make them our statements, God. Be with us now as we worship you, as we respond to the beauty of your truth by expressing ourselves in these ways. We thank you for Christ. We thank you that we were justified and that one day you're coming. We thank you for your truth. It's in Christ's perfect name that I pray. Amen.